if the rest of us will stand as we affirm our trust in God's word. We'll say it together. All flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. You may be seated. This morning we are continuing our series, When the Lord Makes a List, Uh, and the list that we are going to be looking at this morning comes from Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. In your pew Bible, that would be on page 984. If it's in a different Bible, I don't know what page it's on, but the table of contents will help you find it, or your neighbor, or their neighbor. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we would love for you to take one of ours that are in front of you, the, the Pew Bibles, as, as our gifts to you, or if you know someone who needs one, uh, we want people to have access to the Word of God. So uh, I'm going to read our passage, and then we will dive in, starting in verse 5 of chapter 3. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So this is our list for this morning. As we have gone through... uh, this summer series, maybe we haven't hit your favorite genealogy. Um, maybe we won't hit you. Maybe we did. I don't know. Um, but we get to look at lots of different passages and lots of different uh, lists and see why is that list there? What does the Lord have to say for it or say to us through it? Uh, so this morning we're looking at a list of things to put off and of things to put on, a list of things to kill and a list of things to cultivate. Uh, my sermon in a sentence is this. Since Jesus is our life, 
we must put off the old self and put on the new self. Since Jesus is our life, we must put off the old self and put on the new self. And actually, I have another sermon in a sentence. It's saying the same thing, just a little bit differently. Um, because it, one is a little more active and one is uh, just a different characterization. So I'm cheating and I'm using two sermon in a sentences, which kind of defeats the purpose of a summary. But uh, hopefully it will help you as it has helped me think about our particular passage. Uh, so the, the second one is, uh, our life in Christ is characterized by transformation from the old to new self. Our life in Christ is characterized by transformation from the old to new self. So in my two sermon in a sentences, uh, one emphasizes things that we must do, because this text mentions that, things that we must do. And the other emphasizes um, that this is what our life is because of Christ. Hopefully the two communicate the same thing ultimately, but this is kind of how I have thought about this passage. My outline is simple, just two points. First, kill sin. And second, cultivate Christ-likeness. Kill sin and cultivate Christ-likeness. So, again, it comes right from the text. Verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly. Um, And then verse 12, put on what is good, in us. So first we're going to look at killing sin. What should we put off? And as we do that, this is a, a bold statement to ask someone to kill something out of their life, to take something completely out of their life. So I think we have to ask the question, why kill these things? Paul says again, put to death what is earthly in you. That's a bold statement. And one, I think, that we need to explore a little bit. What does he mean, earthly? That's the the first question that we have. And thankfully, he goes on and he gives us a list and doesn't just leave us to wonder what is earthly. In verse 5, he says, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. And then in verse 8, he says, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. So this, along with other passages in Scripture, it helps us not misunderstand Paul. When he says earthly things, he doesn't mean physical things. It's not a duality as if uh, physical things are evil and spiritual things are good and heavenly. In fact, just in the previous chapter, Paul tells us that harsh treatment of our body and renouncing all things physical— It has the appearance of wisdom, but it doesn't have any power to stop the flesh. Here, the flesh and earthly things, the things that Paul is talking about, are sinful things that are harmful to people. That are harmful to people. So I think that one reason we should kill these things in our life is that they are bad things. Sin is bad. Sin is evil because it hurts people. And that sounds like a silly statement to say, well, sin is bad. Well, of course it is. But we have to look at, is that really true? Or is it just some arbitrary rule that God has created to see if we will obey or not? No, the reality is sin is harmful to us. So we kill these things, at least in part, because they are harmful. 
as we look at the list, just to, to pick out some things, um, sexual immorality is harmful to people. And this term here is a blanket term. It's an umbrella term. So it includes um, any sexual activity outside of the marriage bed of husband and wife. Anything else is included in sexual immorality. Um, and this is harmful. Any kind of sexual morality hurts people. It hurts the people that engage in it, and it hurts the people around them. Evil desires. Evil desires hurt, again, the person that has them. To want things that are are bad for people, to want things that are bad for you, uh, and it, it leads to evil actions. Again, to harming people. Covetousness. Or thinking that you deserve something that someone else has. It hurts you. It hurts you as you sink into bitterness and anger, thinking that the world owes you something, that God owes you something. And it hurts relationships with others. As you covet what someone else has, it is hard to love them. Instead, you become resentful And the second list that he gives, anger, slander, lying, all of this, it's harmful to people, both to the people engaging in the activity. To lie is so terrible to a person. And I think the worst thing that can happen is getting away with it, tricking someone. Now you lied and it worked. So what does that do? makes you think you can lie again. And then it's become a habit. And then you find out you're a liar. People don't trust you. So it has hurt you because you now no longer know what is truth. You've convinced yourself of your own lies. And you hurt people around you. They don't trust you. Maybe even when you're telling the truth, they're like, well, how would I know? It hurts relationships. Anger, slander, all of these things, everything in this list is harmful to humanity, both to the people who are doing it and to the people who are receiving it or just even around it. So this, you would think, would be reason enough to kill these things just because they're harmful for us. But Paul goes further. Look with me at verse 6. In the middle of this list of things to kill, Paul says, On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. On account of these sins, on account of sin, the wrath of God is coming. Not only does sin harm the person who does it and it harms people around it, but sin is directly against the very God who created us. Is it in direct rebellion to him? As we curse him. So I want to I read part of a poem that I first heard and dare to share. Uh, it's by a guy named Propaganda who is way cooler than me. Uh, so forgive me as I butcher part of his poem, uh, at least in delivery. But he, he has a, a good way to words. And this comes from as he shares the gospel uh, and what it is. So just, just part of this. But he talks about, he says, about creation God breathed in the man, and he became a living soul, formed with the intent of being infinitely, intimately fond, 
creator and creation held in eternal bond. And it was placed in perfect paradise till something went wrong. A species got deceived and started lusting for his job. An odd list of complaints, as if the system ain't working. And used that same breath he graciously gave us to curse him. This is sin. We take the very breath that God gives us to survive, the very words that he puts on our tongues, and we use it to curse him. Because of our sin, the wrath of God is coming. Because God loves, God is angry. When his masterpiece is harmed, as sin does, when his creation, when his people are harmed, as sin harms us, he acts as any good and loving father would to protect his creation. The wrath of God is coming. Therefore, we must put sin to death. We must put off the things that harm us. We must put off the things that harm others. We must put off the things that curse God with the breath that he has given us. So as we think about this, this maybe, hopefully, answers the question why we should kill these things. Uh, But there may be another important question that we need to answer. Why are these things in our life at all? Why do they exist in our life? Maybe we understand, uh, to an extent, original sin, that Adam and Eve sinned, and that that brought sin into the world, and since then people have been sinning, and we've been making a muck of the world. But Paul here is writing to Christians. Christians who have been made new who have a new nature. Why do they exist in our lives? Why do we still need to kill them? Didn't Christ kill them on the cross? Well, yes. Sin has been defeated by Jesus on the cross. Completely. And his resurrection guaranteed it. Yet, we still have sin. I don't need to convince you that we still have sin. It's clear as day. We all sin. Um, and Christians sin, and we know that, but the question is why? Why, as we have this new nature, do we still do this? Well, I have a few illustrations to maybe help us understand that with varying degrees of silliness. So bear with me, and maybe one of them you can relate to. So the first, and probably the silliest, that I have is the illustration of George of the Jungle. George of the Jungle, uh, as as I looked up the other day, if you're younger, you're probably like, who is George of the Jungle? The movie came out in 1997, uh, so before all of my youth were born. Um, So for those of you that don't know the story of George of the Jungle, uh, George was in a plane crash, and his his plane crashed in the jungle as as a baby, and he miraculously survives. But a terrible accident has happened, and his, his parents are dead, and so he is left to be raised by monkeys, apes, gorillas, um, and, and he lives this way for a long time. He lives as a gorilla. All he has is his, his silliness, right? He has a talking gorilla, and the gorilla talks through the whole movie, so it's not just like him imagining it, uh, but he has a talking gorilla, and he's a couple other animal friends, so he learns life from them. Then eventually, he meets other people, They come in, and through a series of 
uh, funny and, and sad events, he's taken back to civilization, back to where he should be. George is a person. He's a man. He's not an animal. So he belongs with people. That's what he's designed for. That's what he's created for. But most of his life, he hasn't lived as a man. So as he comes back, um, he, through the hilarious exports of uh, Brendan Fraser, right, he learns to be a man, but he still has all these jungle monkey habits. He doesn't know what it is to be a man. He doesn't know how to eat like a person should eat. He doesn't understand. So he acts out of his old reality, even though he is in a new reality. He is a person, and now he is in civilization with other people. He still acts as if he were in the jungle. Again, silliness, I know. Um, another, maybe slightly less silly, maybe not. Uh, there's a sketch on YouTube of an astronaut. This astronaut has been in space for a long time, and it's an, it's an actual astronaut doing the, the sketch, and he's talking, and he's showing what he's doing, and he's holding a cup, and as he's talking, he just lets go of his cup right here, and of course, it drops to the ground. Well, he lets go of it because in space, that's what you do. You don't set things on tables. That sounds fantastic. Actually, that, for me, that sounds terrible. Uh, I am the most cluttered person, and my mess expands to the amount of space that I have. So if that is just all around me, my mess would just infinitely expand to fill up the whole space station. But he, he keeps just dropping things, and then he goes to find it, and he looks up, and he's confused. Oh, it's on the ground. Oh, I forgot about gravity. We're like, how would you forget about gravity? Well, he's used to existing in a reality where gravity wasn't there. So then when he comes, and gravity does exist again, he has forgotten. He has these old habits of something that was true and is now no longer true of him. And then finally, one uh, less silly, maybe more helpful. Uh, imagine a person who has committed a crime and spent years in prison. They have done something, and they deserve to be in prison. They're not innocent. They deserve to be in prison. In prison, they develop all kinds of habits. Some out of necessity, like eating your food really fast and protecting it. Some just out of the culture that is prison, fighting quickly when you feel threatened or dishonored. Being, being quick to anger and yell or to staying completely to themselves trying to not interact with anyone at all. For years, this goes on. And then they have served their time, and they are released. They are no longer a prisoner. They are free. That's the new reality. The new self is not prisoner. The new self is free person. Yet those habits stick. Eating fast and protective of your food sticks with people as they come out of prison. Anger or being reserved, it sticks. They have a new reality, a new um, definition of who they are, yet these old habits stick around. This is how we are as Christians. When Jesus comes and he saves us, we have a new reality. 
We're no longer in the jungle. We're no longer in space. We're no longer in prison. Yet, we have these habits that have built up in our life. Paul says in verse 7, in these you once walked when you were living in them. It used to be our reality that sin was our master, that we were the old self. But thanks be to Christ Jesus who has set us free and given us new life in him. Even though we have a new self, a new nature, a new reality, we still have the habits of our old self. We forget from time to time that I'm not in space and I have to set things on the table. We forget from time to time that our anger does not accomplish good things in us or in others. Or sometimes, even like the Israelites after the Exodus, we might look back fondly on the life that we once lived because we've gotten confused. We must put to death the sin that is in us. We must put off the old self in us. It's a continual process. John Owen famously said that you must be killing sin or it will be killing you. It's not something that we can passively live with or hope to control. Sin is a poison that infects and destroys us. A little sin, if left alone, grows bigger and bigger and bigger. And it leads us to places that we would have never dreamed we would go. It leads us into deeper and darker sin. So we must kill it. This is a a pattern of the Christian life. Killing sin. It's not not a one and done. I said something I shouldn't have. I apologized. Good with that. We're continually killing sin. It's a characterization of our life. Since our life is in Jesus, we must kill our sin. And as we do, our life in Christ is also characterized by cultivating Christ-likeness. Look with me at verse 10. He says, And you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And, And Paul starts here by saying, You have already put on the new self. Much like we have already, we already have our life in Christ. And our new self is being renewed. It's a present thing. It's an active thing. We are currently and presently being renewed. We are currently and presently being transformed into the image of Jesus. This is not a call to give up all the earthly pleasures and joys of being human. It's not a call to live a life devoid of joy and happiness. In fact, this list is a call to be more human. To be what we were meant to be. What we are created to be. The things that we put to death are foreign and should not be in human beings. It's not what we were meant for. The things that we are to put on are things that human beings were always meant to be. This list of 
of extreme language of killing things and, and cultivating things is a list that brings us closer to Christ and it brings us joy. It's where we're meant to be, what our creator designed us to be. We are made new in Christ Jesus. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21, he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. That is true of you. If you are not in Christ, my call to you is to know him, to trust in him, to repent of your sin, to turn to him to save you, and he will. For those of us who look at a list like this, a list of things to kill and a list of things to cultivate, and who mostly see the old self in us. Maybe those of us that have a sensitive spirit and have doubt in our lives. I want to encourage you. This is not a list of things to do to become a Christian. This list does not make you a Christian. Jesus makes you new. His death, his resurrection, make you new. You can't make yourself new any more than a dead person can make themselves alive. It is an act of God. Jesus became sin. He became the old self. And then he died, killing it. And then he raised, he, he came back to life with a new life, with a new self, with the, being the firstborn of creation, the new creation. And in his life, he offers us new life. He gives us his new resurrected life. If you are in Christ, you are new. We still have our old jungle habits that we must kill, but we are new. And because we are new, we must put on that newness. Because we are new, we must continually cultivate Christ-likeness. And this is done in community with other new creatures. The very next thing Paul says in verse 11, he says that earthly barriers and divisions don't exist. Not that there aren't distinctions in who we are, that's not what he's saying, but he's saying those distinctions don't divide us. The Jew and the Greek 
are no longer against each other because they are in Christ. And He is what matters. He defines them. And He is what unites. And then Paul starts his list of things to put on in verse 12. And as he starts this list, he starts with this incredible statement. He gets into it, but he says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. What an incredible statement to people, to people who struggle with sin. He says, These are the things that you're going to put on, but you do it as God's chosen people. As those who are holy. As those who are loved. These are, again, true things of you if you are in Christ. God has chosen you before the foundation of the world to be his child. And God has said and made you holy by the blood of Jesus. Here, the call is not to, to, Paul doesn't say, and become holy. Although other places in scripture, we are told to be holy as he is holy. But here, he is saying you are holy as God's chosen people who are holy and who are beloved. We are made holy by God and his blood. And then, we are beloved by God. God looks at his children and treasures them, and loves them as he makes them new. This is not a list of things to do so that God will love you. Man, I sinned today. I better go read my Bible extra so that God loves me more. I spoke unkindly. I better go do a chore unasked so that that God will love me more. You are loved. God has loved you. He doesn't say, God will love you if you kill sin, and God will love you if you put on righteousness. Instead, he says, you are loved. You are holy. You are chosen. Therefore, put these things on. That order is so important. We put things on, we kill sin because we are loved by God. We put on Christ's righteousness because we are loved by God. So as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, what are we to put on? In the following verses, we're not going to go through each thing, although that would be a good sermon series at some point. One of the things that I noticed is that all these things are communal things. How can you be kind if there's no one to be kind to? How can you be compassionate if there's no one around? How can you bear with someone if that someone is not there? These are all done in community. So as we think about that, I want to go ahead and I want to read this list of things to put on one more time. I want you to listen to it. Hear God's word. I want you to imagine your life as you put these things on. Imagine our church as we put these things on together. Listen, think about how wonderful it is or how wonderful it it is becoming. It says, put on then, 
as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Again, instead of going through each of these things, I want to give you homework. I want you to meditate on this list this week. Meditate on the things to kill and meditate on the things to put on. I want you to ask the Spirit what he is telling you. Ask him to point out the sin that needs to be killed. Ask him to point out where you need to put on his righteousness. And as you do that, as I do that, we will undoubtedly come to the last question we'll ponder this morning. How? How do I do this? How do I kill sin in my life? How do I put on God's righteousness? First and foremost, this is only done through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not done by our own strength. It's done in and through God. Paul tells us this in Galatians 5, 16. He says, But I say to you, walk by the Spirit. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit. This is how this is done. We must listen to the Holy Spirit, which means we must know him and know his voice. He speaks to us. He leads us. He provides a way out when there is temptation. He gives the power to kill sin. Even the sin that feels like it's binding to us. The sin that feels like it is stronger than you are. The Spirit kills it and gives us the power to fight it. He will open our eyes and he'll show us the glory of Jesus. The glory and the beauty of the cross that has already defeated sin. He will shape us into kind and humble people as we follow him. At the same time, as we rely on the Spirit, we also act. We kill sin. We cultivate Christ-likeness. It's not, we don't just sit back and say, God, make me more like you, as we watch TV, doing nothing. God, help me to kill my sin as I'm indulging in it. Paul tells us that in, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10, he says, By the grace of God, 
I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. We are called to work. It is only by the grace of God, but that grace of God transforms us to act. As we are transformed, we move, we kill sin. That's what God's grace does, is it leads us to righteousness. It does not lead us to passivity. We should never distort God's grace into laziness, into license to sin. Well, God will save me. When he wants me to get over this sin, I just won't desire it anymore. He'll do it whenever he wants. We must work. We must fight our sin. At the same time, we must never, we must never think that we do this power, we do this in our own power, that our own effort is anything we can boast in. Instead, we boast in our weakness and in the power of the cross that transforms us. But what does that look like practically? How do we do these things practically? We do them in the power of the Spirit, and we do them, but what will it actually look like? Paul gives us some of that here in this list. First, this list will work itself out in community with other believers, and it will stem from the Word of God. Look with me at verse 16. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. You will know where the Holy Spirit is leading you as the word of Christ dwells in you richly. Here is the age-old call to be in the word of God daily. But this call is not just to read your Bible. It's to let the word dwell in you richly. Meditate it. Meditate on it day and night. Pray over what you are reading. Ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate it, to convict you of sin, to transform you, and to help you to obey what he has given you. And as the word of Christ dwells in you richly and deeply, you will be able to teach and admonish others with wisdom. And as you are around other followers of Christ who have the word of Christ dwelling in them deeply, They will admonish and teach you. One of the most practical ways this has been worked out in my life is in my small group with people who know me and love me. This is true both for killing my sin and for cultivating Christ's righteousness. They are able to teach me and admonish me. As I talk with them, I see things in myself or they point things out that I didn't see that I didn't know, and I'm shown sin that I need to kill. I'm also shown what it looks like to be kind and humble and meek and patient. And they bear with me as I bear with them. And when needed, they forgive me as when needed, I forgive them. This is not the only place that this has worked out in my life, but it is a good one. And I would encourage you 
you're not in a small group, join one. You can talk to Marguerite Cora or to me. We'd be happy to get you into a group. Then, what we'll do here in just a minute, there's a very practical way that we do often, but we don't think of it in this way. It's by singing together. Paul tells us, sing songs to God with thankfulness. As we praise God together with others, we are changed. We are shaped. Our heart and our emotion responds and reacts in a different way as we praise God through song. Then Paul tells us, as we think about how do we work this out practically, he says there's no end to it. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever it is. Was it not mentioned on this list? That's okay. Do everything in the name of the Lord. This is what our life in Christ looks like. It is characterized by killing our sin, and cultivating Christ-likeness. It's not something we do alone. It's not something we perform so that we know Christ will love us. Not a list that will earn God's favor, but we do it because we have the favor of God. Imagine with me a young boy around 10, or maybe that's you, But imagine who has an older brother who is cool. He is strong. He is kind and compassionate. He spends time with his younger brother. He takes him out to lunch and to dinner. He works out with him plays sports with him, plays games with him, helps him with his homework. The younger brother wants to be like his older brother because his older brother loves him and because his older brother is someone to be like. We don't do these lists so that God will love us. We kill sin and cultivate Christ-likeness because he loves us. Just like the younger brother doesn't want to become like the older brother so that he will love him, but because he is loved. So let's come together in community to the table. Let's remember the saving work of Jesus that has killed our sin and has given us his righteousness. Let's come celebrating the life that we have in Christ. And then, let's sing together with thankfulness to God. As you come, maybe you want to pray with someone. Come, we have Becky up here who would love to pray with you. But I encourage you, respond to the Lord and what he is saying and what he is doing through his word. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you have made us new. Not of our own doing, but out of your love, out of your character, out of your grace, you have saved. Spirit, I thank you that you show us the sin in our life, 
that you show it to be evil. You show it to be destructive. I pray that you would open our eyes so that we would see that more clearly. Spirit, make it easy for us to kill our sin. Remove the parts of us that look back with fondness, that hope we might fall into sin. And Spirit, make us more like Jesus. Show us where to cultivate Christ-likeness as we do that in community. I thank you that you have, you have made us new so that we can know you, we can love you, we can be like you. And I thank you that you don't leave us where we are. Wherever we are today, if we are in you, you will continue to work on us. You will continue to shape us. We thank you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul says, he said, in, in instituting the Lord's Supper, he says, the night the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take together.